Let's hit it. And welcome to Alzheimer Speaks Radio. I'm your host, Lori LeBay, and I'm so excited that you're joining us today. We are going to have a fascinating conversation, as usual, as we learn from people all around the world at all ages and stages of life. Stay tuned as we shift our dementia care from crisis to comfort. Alzheimer Speaks Radio. If you enjoyed the opening music, it's called Clarion Call by the Mark Arneson Band, and you can download it on any of your favorite platforms. And the cool thing is they're donating the proceeds to Alzheimer Speaks, so you can't beat that. So for those of you that are new to Alzheimer Speaks Radio, we really are about sound information, not just sound bites. We want to hear the authentic conversations, the struggles and the joys that are happening in today's world. And our goal is to raise everyone's voice at all levels. So if you're living with dementia, if you're caring for somebody, if you own a business or work for somebody, if you're a researcher, an advocate, we want to hear from you. Everyone's story is important. So feel free to reach out to me. You can go to alzheimerspeaks.com and learn more. And, you know, as far as shows go, all of our shows are archived and we've been doing this since uh, 2011. So there's lots of great information out there uh, for your listening and learning pleasure because we like to think that we are giving people good, solid information as well. Now, today we're going to be talking about COVID-19, and we've got some great guests. But before I go there, I always like to give a shout out to the Memory Cafe directory. I think they are just so valuable in their service. And a lot of memory cafes, like the one I run, um, are doing virtual cafes, and they're opening them up to others, not just in their area, to join if you need support. So go to memorycafedirectory.com. Others are worried about exercise. And so check into Live to Be Healthy. And that's a live and then the number two, the letter B, and then healthy. And then I just have to thank our listeners. You guys are so wonderful. Your likes, your clicks, and shares have gotten people all around the world to know who the heck we are. And so we're just honored to be part of your life and to try to provide you with information I know I would have liked to have had when my mother was on her journey for 30 years with dementia. So with no further ado, let me introduce you to our guest today. So um, I'm going to pull people in one at a time, and we will go from there. And I'm going to have them introduce themselves today because I am having computer issues. So first, I'm going to pull in Cindy Lazinski. First of all, welcome to the show. If you wouldn't mind just introducing yourself to our audience, and we'll get everybody um, online here, and then we'll start with our questions. But if you wouldn't mind introducing yourself. Sure. I'm Cindy Luzinski. I live in Windsor, Colorado, and I'm an advanced practice nurse and uh, executive director of a nonprofit organization that we call Dementia Friendly Communities of Northern Colorado. And so with that, I get to do business education in the community, 
one-on-one uh, -on -one consultation, um, memory cafes, and support groups throughout the community. Okay, wonderful. I'm going to pull in Andrea Baswa. So Andrea, welcome to the show. Um, if you wouldn't mind introducing yourself and just telling our audience a little bit about you, and then we'll get to more questions a little bit later here, okay? Okay, Lori, thank you so much for having me. I so appreciate it. Uh, my name is Andrea Buzbois, and I am the founder of a company called Everhuman. The goal of Everhuman is to really help people to thrive in the new digital era. You know, this era is ever accelerating, so it, it can be really a challenge for some to manage their technology lives and their digital lives. And so my whole goal is to make sure that nobody feels left behind and that everyone feels that they can, they can be empowered in this digital age, no matter what age they are. Wonderful. Thank you. And next, I'm going to pull in George Grassini, and um, we will let him introduce himself as well. So welcome, George. If you wouldn't mind introducing yourself, that would be wonderful. Good afternoon. Um, hi, Lori. Hi, Cindy. Andrea. Um, my name is George Graziani. I'm an actuary by background, and what I'm here to talk to you about today is something called COVID-19 contacts.com, which is a, a contact tracing app that uh, I released. I got the idea on uh, March 20th, and we released it on March 27th, a few uh, weeks ago. And it's, uh, it's an app that helps uh, people with uh, what's called contact tracing. And you, you probably are starting to hear about contact tracing. It's, it's a way to flatten the curve, as we say, or slow the spread of the COVID-19 virus. And the way it works is it allows you to create and maintain a list of what we call your COVID-19 contacts, people who you've been in close contact with within uh, six feet, so that if you at some point test positive for COVID-19, those people can then be quickly and easily contacted and so that they know and then they can get tested and they can go into quarantine so they don't go around spreading the virus further. And uh, similarly, uh, they can also uh, notify you if they test positive. The app is uh, very simple to use and easy. It works on a laptop or mobile device. Uh, we've done the whole thing as a public service. So uh, there's not a commercial venture. You won't see ads popping up. The app itself is free. And um, really over the last just few weeks, we've had an incredible response. We've had thousands of people come to, uh, to visit and use the app um, from, you get this, 47 countries. Uh, so it's a truly a, a global app, and we're 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 very excited about that. So I have a question for you. Um, what caused you to to decide to to make the app? You're ahead of Google, and and you know there's a lot of others now talking about it. But what got you thinking and to get it out there so fast? Well, it's a great question. I mean, about a, a month ago, when I. It was like many, like probably everybody, I was sitting at home watching the news and uh, on, online and on TV and just feeling kind of anxious and just watching this thing unfold and come at us from, uh, 
from Asia and, and flow through Europe. And um, I, as an actuary, as a math guy, I have the kind of an analytic bent. And I just, I just sort of that kind of kicked in for me. And I started studying the curves coming in from various countries to see which, because it was difficult to tell, and all happening in, in real time. So it was very difficult to tell what, uh, which countries were doing uh, a better job at flattening the curve. And so uh, using the data, I was able to figure that out and, um, and then started to look at what specifically they were doing in those countries to slow the spread of the virus. And it turned out that there were three things that, that really made a huge impact. And the crazy thing is there were very simple things. And you've heard about the first two, physical distancing, which we're all doing. Um, keep a six-foot barrier uh, around yourself. And the second is uh, hygiene, hand washing. And the third thing was this idea of contact tracing. Um, and so I thought, well, why don't we you know, put something together? I contacted a, uh, an old friend of mine who helped me with the programming, Wissam Dumanji. And uh, in literally, I think five days, we built this thing and launched it, um, which is unheard of. Like it usually takes three months to, to make an app. So there was a real sense of, of urgency. Um, and part of the idea is that we wanted to think like the virus. And the virus is, you know, it's kind of a clever thing. It's, it's passing from people to people and it's spreading quickly, fast. And so that's why we wanted to get it out so fast so that we could uh, spread the word or spread this, these simple behavioral changes like the physical distancing, the hand washing, and the contact tracing, and give people a simple, easy way that's uh, very private and secure uh, to be able to do that and, and do that faster than the virus is spreading. So I have a question for you, because I, I know here in Minnesota, they're saying that they've been kind of monitoring our phones to see who's staying put and who's moving around. And so who all gets the data that's put into the phone? You know, is it a big brother kind of system and shared with the government? I guess I know that's on a lot of people's minds with what's going on. And yet, you know, I do believe we need to know who we're in contact with and we have to have that readily available if we're going to try to help um, stop the spread of this or to get testing to, to potential people that may be infected. That's a great question. And, and yes, there is a lot of concern about that with the app, which I'm calling version one. And again, that's COVID-19 contacts.com with that app that's out there right now. That's a web-based app. Um, from our, I can tell you about how ours works. All the data, all the contact information that people would enter into that app stays locally on their device. So there's nothing in the cloud. It's complete. Like I don't, I can't see it. No, you know the, the program can't see it. It's local to each person's phone. Okay, so there's no, there's there's like zero privacy or security at all with that. Now I should tell you that that we are working on a second version. So when we first got this idea, you know, like, uh, like many people, you think, okay, what would be the, the perfect way to do this? And, you know, that turned out to be quite complicated. And so we've been working on that in parallel to launching this, a more sophisticated app that doesn't involve um, any um, manual, uh, really, activity from a person. 
and it's it's you know it's it's very exciting news that Apple and Google announced last Friday that they are going to be um, releasing what's called an API or a set of programming tools in mid-May that they're going to um, release uh, to uh, governments across the world at various levels, um, and in particular the health ministries in those governments or the health departments, so that they, they can then uh, put um, some of those programming, to make the programming easier, let's put it that way. And uh, so we're really excited about that. And, and personally, I'd, 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 be, I'd be happy to, to sign on to something like that myself. But many people, as, as, as you mentioned, are not so comfortable with their, um, their data being um, going through uh, large corporations uh, like Google and Apple or, or going to the government. And so for those people, we, you know, we think that our um, app, which is nonprofit, completely non-commercial, which is global, um, offers, uh, you know, offers an alternative and, and is, is worth considering. Um, the technology in our the app that we're going to be releasing in a few weeks, which I think is ahead with those guys, um, is it does involve Bluetooth and um, involves no personal data at all being stored um, on on a cloud, but it, but just in a way to send an anonymous notification to people, um, you require to you're required to keep a very small amount of information. Um, uh, to be able to do that. And to give you an idea of how lean that can be, because our, our view is we, we don't want to take get any statistics. We don't want any information on where someone is or who they are. What we're trying to do is put a tool in people's hands that they can use themselves and with others without involving any large corporation or without involving any government. And to give you a sense for how... Um, how lean that data is uh, it to support a million users. So that's a million people using that app is about the same amount as, of data as it would be for 50 photographs. That's in total. So that's not 50 photographs for each of those million people. It's 50 photographs in total. So all we're keeping there is the very, very minimal amount that's required to anonymously um, send those people a, a notification if, in, in fact, one of their uh, close contacts does become, uh, does test positive. So um, just one question, because I know how none of this stuff works, <laughs> you know, but sure. if, if, I, if I have it on my phone, is it possible for the phone company to still grab any of my information? Because it seems like they have access to things that we all didn't know they had access to. In, ter in terms of things. So that might just be a question that some people have as well. No, it's a great question. I, I can't talk to how other people are designing their apps. Um, as far as I know, there aren't really any others that are available like this that are in, um, I, that are in uh, six languages as well. Um, but with ours, no. I mean, it's, everything is locally on your local phone, on your device. That's where the data is. And so there's no, you know, with, with our app, which I can speak to, there's no um, tracking or any of that stuff going on. Okay, 
Great. Well, thank you. Thank you so much. Um, Cindy, how are things going with everything that you're doing with your dementia friendly groups? There's been, I'm sure, um, a lot of effect because you used to have in-person meetings and things. So can you share with us how that's impacted and how you've adjusted and adapted and how your members have? Sure. You know, we were just really quick to say, let's not pause what we're doing, but let's pivot what we're doing. And so having you, honestly, Lori, as a mentor and knowing that you're out there in the dementia world, really, as a leader, starting a lot of this virtual connection 10 years ago, um, it made it a little less scary for me personally to say, okay, let's just do memory cafes virtually. Let's do our care partner support group virtually. And now actually let's start a memory cafe where we can have the long-term care communities dial in and they're the loved ones who can no longer see their people in, living in res, in um, long-term care communities that they can dial in too and they can attend the same memory cafe together. So we, we've been able to make that virtual pivot pretty easily. I would say that the um, probably the biggest barrier to that is just helping staff get more comfortable with doing more virtual connecting and, and getting that all ready for their residents. And that's where, you know, this is just one of those, a perfect example of how we aren't just going to survive this crisis, but we're going to take from it, learn what we need to and become better afterwards. And so it is kind of a natural fit with you know, how can we just make this a long, have a long-term impact, help the staff feel like they're able to uh, provide more virtual experiences for their residents. And we're trying to do most of our experiences live versus just like watching a YouTube um, piece of entertainment, which is fine, but it is also nice to just have that interaction. And so our memory cafes certainly are live. We're doing virtual variety shows now that um, they also can connect into and we did a community call for talent and so we'll see how those go and then the other thing that we realized we need to do is to try to do a virtual support group for the staff in those care communities and so we're starting that next Friday we're just going to try it for four weeks at 5 45 in the morning and 2 45 in the afternoon so we can kind of get both shifts and calling it a uh, hero's connection and just see if for a half an hour they want to meet even like among a lot of the communities to share their insights and thoughts and encouragement. So I, I just think there's a lot of good things that can happen. And that's been the fun part of all of this um, in seeing that it's we can make good come out of what's a difficult situation. So one question for you. I, I uh find it really interesting that you're trying to do something for the staff because I think that that's really needed. Are communities supporting that? Or will staff get paid during that time or is this on their time off? How, how is that working? They are going to be getting paid for it. So we're trying to do it at the time when they have their staff huddles and share shift to shift information. And we'll see how it goes uh, in, in talking to several of the executive directors of these long-term care communities, they're all in because they know that their staff really are the heroes on the front line. And I do think they want to support them in that. So we'll fantastic. see how it goes. We're just going to try it. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's like that's a great idea. I saw one, I was reading an article where they were doing um, preparedness for those that haven't gotten hit by the COVID and they are dressing up and using their equipment and pretending like it is. And they do that with each staff like five times. And they said it's just alleviated the stress like 100% and the anxiety of it coming because they know what it's going to look like, what it's going to feel like. And I thought, boy, that was really a smart idea. And they were talking about the need for staff needing to communicate, not just within their own communicating but or um, community, but what's going on in other, other workplaces that are being affected by this so that they can share ideas and support one another and um, I feel, I think, more in control. And feel like they're part of something bigger, that they, they really are part of history happening. And yes, they're caring for these people and they have the ability to create well-being for an individual every single shift. But then it's also like, how do you celebrate that, share it with other people? Um, we've talked about having resilience boards where you um, write down, you know, this is how I made a difference on my shift today, or this is how I saw Sue make a difference today and just encouraging each other with that. So I think there's a lot of ideas that we can share just to make working in the care communities better in the long run. I think it really can be. Yeah, I think it's wonderful. Um, Andrea, why don't we talk a little bit with you um, on what's going on in your world and how you've served people in the past and how you're adjusting now and how it's working for you personally as well as them. Yeah. Um, I just want to start by saying that Cindy for me is the perfect example of what I've been trying to teach people for a long time, which is that uh, it's not about when you're trying to learn something new, uh, like we all are now. So in this era of COVID, you know, Cindy pointed out, we're really pivoting, you know, everybody is. And so the way that we did things before isn't going to be the way we're going to do them in the future. And we knew that already. What COVID has done is just bring that moment about rapidly and forcefully. <laughs> so this was already happening. We were already in what's called the fourth industrial revolution. And that's a time when biology meets technology. And so rather than just using computers, like using a word processor or a calculator, you know, using it as a tool, we're now utilizing technology to express ourselves in the form of things like social media or Zoom. Uh, we use smartwatches that can do biometrics. We use, um, you know, uh, like uh, talking refrigerators and, you know, there's computers in our cars. There's so many different things we use. And we've sort of taken for granted that it's like our new normal becomes new normal really quick. Uh, and we've been resilient for a long time. So in some ways, that is the really, really good news. And uh, what I do with my work with Ever Human is really just try to get to the heart of people's mindset because it isn't your age that's a barrier to learning technology. It isn't um, your lack of you know, education or your income level. None of that. None of that really matters. It really is your mindset. And so I think where, um, where I see you know, people like George and Cindy and you coming together, and I hope I'm going to put myself in that category too, is stepping up and saying, what kind of um, change do I need to make in order to thrive in the now? And uh, how do I need to see the world? And so a lot of times, you know, this, this is a crisis, right? It is a, it's a, an unwanted situation. And so in some ways, there is a tendency for people to throw up their guard and, and react in fear and really push away what is happening, but there are 
many people who are kind of coming out of that fear space and saying, you know what, actually there's a lot of opportunity here and there's a lot of um, space for me to say, okay, I'm ready to learn now. And so that mindset is so critical. And that's what, you know, I would say that I have just turned the dial up on making sure that my mindset is nice and open and I'm not taking anything for granted. So in terms of how my business has pivoted, I used to really go to people's homes and um, places of business and work with teams and really help people on a personal level through workshops and things like that to, to really change their mindset. I have something that I developed called the Ability Mindset Matrix that's a framework to help people understand where they are in their current mindset and how to get to a more productive one. So I would normally do those things in person. And now I'm just really le leaning more on Zoom, like everybody is, and doing more um, virtual things. But luckily, I also had already created something called Triumph Over Technology, which is a five-part um, e-course that I created. It took two years to make. It's professionally filmed. It's all produced beautifully. And it really walks people through starting with mindset. How do you kind of get to a um, more productive, more useful mindset when it comes to learning anything new, but in particular technology. And then it goes over four, four things, keeping in touch, which goes over social media. How do you use social media, video chatting, um, texting, things like that. Um, keeping, uh, let's see, keeping records. And that's how do you keep all this digital stuff organized? Because most of us have become digital hoarders. So we've got photos and videos and documents and, um, you know, all kinds of stuff. So how to keep all that organized? What is the cloud exactly? How does that work? Um, then there is keeping safe. And that's about all that, you know, George was talking about security and Lori too. It's, it is a, it's scary to think about what digital information we're sharing all the time. And we're all leaving kind of breadcrumbs behind us every time we get on the internet. So I talk about what that is and how to stay safe. And then the final module is keeping what matters and it's about digital estate planning. So, you know, we kind of, we don't realize that if, you know, if I die, does my husband or my family, do they have my password to my computer or my phone or all my different accounts? The average American has 150 accounts attached to a single email address. So there's just a lot happening, but the good news is um, there are plenty of resources to help us navigate this time. And so I hope that with Ever Human that I've really put some good resources out there. And if people are interested to find them, it's really, um, it's not everhuman.com. That's the first place people will look. It's everhuman.io um, to find all that information. But that's, you know, my service. And I actually did change the price of my course to be pay what you can for now, because I, I also like George, I really just want to serve people right now and make sure that nobody's left behind. That's fantastic. Now with your course, is this for all ages? I mean, I think kids need to be you know, brought into this too. And, and they're, they're much more flexible when it comes to technology and they don't have the fears of, I'm going to break it. I, re I remember when we first got computers and all that, we were like, oh, I'm going to break it. I'm going to, and, and that was everyone's first thought. And, and yet there's still a lot of people out there that, that have those thoughts. But I think kids, you know, the younger we can teach people those things, the better off all of us are going to be. And I know for, for kids, parents are mostly worried with safety, you know, out right. of those categories of what you're talking about right. and in understanding kind of that big picture and the vulnerability, not just because they're a kid, but we all are vulnerable. Yeah. Well, as a parent, I would say that uh, the course is really built to help the person who feels like they are not um, that they are scared in the digital era and they're not thriving and they're, they're struggling. The technology is just this 
kind of constant struggle. And so kind of going back to what Cindy was saying with the staff, right? When you have caregivers who are trying to help and, you know, we know that there are amazing tools like Zoom and FaceTime and, you know, even Facebook Messenger ways that we can make sure that, uh, there is a human contact there. There's somebody talk to talk to. We know those tools exist, but for some family members and caregivers, their fears are stopping them from helping, right? And so what, the, what my course does is really just help people with consumer technology is just to get a lay of the land. And rather than, you know, you might be able to go do a Google search for a how-to, like how to organize your Google photos. But the problem with all those is that if you're already approaching those videos scared, you're not going to learn. And so what I teach rather than kind of the step-by-step -step, people, everyone thinks they need a step-by-step, -step, but you don't, what you need is to understand the strategy of how to learn technology these days. And without going into too much detail, um, the, when I talked about my ability mindset matrix framework, what we want is to be a chef. So if you think about how does a chef learn to cook? Well, you start with scrambled eggs and French toast and pasta, you know, basics. Things are really simple. And once you master that, you might say, huh, I'm going to add a little smoked paprika to my eggs. Maybe I'm going to make my own pasta sauce. And one day you burn the food. You don't say to yourself, oh, see, I'm the worst. I'm never cooking again in my whole life. I cannot do this. You say, oh, I think I turned it up too high. Next time I'll turn it down lower. So it's small wins not beating yourself up, not calling yourself too old, or I can't do this. I'm, I'm so bad with technology. You know, people really beat themselves up. It's really about just small experimentation, play. You're not going to break it. Right. And so that's really what I try to teach people. And I think that is something that parents can learn alongside their children. And in fact, can learn from their children. Right. That's what kids do all the time. And so we just need to remember how to learn things. And that's, that's what I try to teach people. I think that's brilliant. I think children are um, such a gift and have so much to offer us. If we would just kind of lighten up and go with the flow and let some of that creative juice come out, because I think as adults, we get, we get kind of bound up and put in this little box of this is the way it has to be. Or, you know, if I, if I fail, because that's how they look at it, um, people are going to judge me and kids are just like, well, let's just try you know, if that didn't work, let's, well, let's try this. Let's just Absolutely. play. Let's just, let's just connect, you know? And I think uh, with COVID-19, I think we're seeing some great examples of that, of people saying, hey, I'd rather try than not. And something's better than nothing. And, and they're sitting back and learning instead of going into that, oh, woe is me. And maybe, maybe part of that is, is because they're not they're not out in the public as much. And so they're not feeling like they have all those eyes on them um, that they did before judging them. I mean, it's hard to say, um, or maybe it's just the severity of the situation that people think, hey, we have to try. You know, we've yeah. got to do better. And every single one of us is responsible to do better. You know, each one of us has the power to do better if we choose. And I mean, you guys are all brilliant examples of, of adapting and changing and pivoting and bringing things forward, um, which is which is lovely. Um, George, I want to ask you, what kind of response have you been getting from people that are tapping in to your app? Oh, we've been getting a like an incredible response, and and just you know, kind of continuing on what what Cindy was talking about and Andrea as well. Um, some of the people that are most um, you know interested, obviously 
are people who are essential workers. And in that group, uh, I would certainly include uh, care workers and people uh, uh, working in, uh, in seniors' home and senior living, assisted living and long-term care. Um, we're right now in discussions with a large um, seniors' home network uh, where the care workers are going to uh, potentially be using our app um, on a daily basis, because as we know, um, you know this is one of the areas in, in senior living homes where if the virus gets in, it's extremely dangerous. And so, A, keeping it out, um, so there's protocols for that, but also um, con- uh, tracing the contacts of the, of the folks who work there so that when they you know, go in on a bus or, or, or have, you know, they're out, they're not like us. They're not, they're not isolated like this. They're making contact with other people and the ability to trace those is a, is a huge advantage for uh, folks in, uh, you know, in, in, in senior living. So I would say, you know, in, in Cindy, in your, in your meetings that you're having uh, and in bringing caregivers together and also you, Andrea, in, in the wonderful work it sounds like you're doing um, to help people to learn is please do introduce them to uh, this notion of contact tracing and, and, uh, and have them uh, use our app. It's, it's free and, and it gives them a peace of mind and gives them a kind of an awareness of, of how, um, how important their work is. I, you know, and others too, like a law enforcement. I was on a program earlier this is going pretty fast but i'm earlier this week and i was talking to someone who's a law enforcement expert with thousands and thousands of uh, police officers across the u.s and they're out they're essential workers they have to stop people and talk to them and get within six feet and uh and so they you know they too were very interested in and cashiers in your grocery store you know, the, the, they reached out as well and said, hey, this is perfect. You know, I, I, I want this. And, uh, and they're using it themselves so that they can keep track of those people who are getting within that close distance um, so that they'll be able to get warned by them as well, as well as, as warn them. Um, so, so, yeah, there's, there's been that kind of interest. And the crazy thing really is this global element where we've had people from literally 47 countries um, get involved in this and, and uh, take an interest and look at the site and download the app. And, and that's, um, it, it's, it's very, um, it's very unique that way because the, the virus itself is, as we say, is a pandemic. It's, it's doesn't know any borders. And, uh, and so I think we need to, to, you know, that's a positive thing I think that comes out of that, uh, out of this is that, our connection with other people and individuals um, gets gets enhanced by this in a way that uh, that um, we 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 feel that the, the camaraderie and our fate is aligned together, and our sense of mutual uh, personal responsibility is heightened. and uh, And I think if there's a, if there's a positive that does come out of this uh, this terrible pandemic, um, that that would be certainly one of them. Well, and I think what's really interesting with your app too, I, I think of like Weight Watchers and in, in changing habits, you know, and it's like write down what you eat and a lot of, you know, or gnome or there's tons of them out there, but it's all about being conscious of what you're doing. And, and I remember when I got um, food poisoning, this was a year, probably 20 years ago, 
And they, they contacted me like two months later. Like, where were you that week? I don't know. I, two months ago, I wouldn't have a clue. Two days ago, I probably wouldn't have a clue because we take things for granted. I went to the bank. I went to the post office. I went, you know, through a drive-through where I, you know, wherever you went, it, we, those aren't things that we typically note on our calendars. We just have the freedom to do what we do when we want to do it. And we don't think twice about it. And I think it is a really important thing for us to take seriously, not just for ourselves, you know, because we could be notified by somebody else, but in case we're sick, you know, to be able to let them know. Now in a grocery store, I would imagine you'd just end up calling the grocery store and say, my person was here because you're not going to, cashier's not going to get everybody's name as they're, as they're going through the line um, would, be my, would be my guess on that. But again, it's just that, that conscious awakening. And correct me if I'm wrong there, George. No, you're absolutely right. So much of it is behavior. And the crazy thing is, I mean, this, like, think about this virus for a second. It only lasts for 14 days, really. So if the whole world, every person in the world sat isolated, for 14 days, the virus would be dead. It would be over. We, we could have just done this in two weeks instead of this drawn out thing. Okay, so what we're trying to do is, okay, we can't get everybody at the same time to stay inside for two weeks, but we need to do that for, for, for move the meter on that. Um, but it, it is about awareness and it's about these small behavioral changes. I mean, it's, it, it's, you know, of course, there's, there are people working on vaccines and that, that's, you know, complicated and it's going to take a lot of time. But these three little simple behavioral changes that are, you know, so simple. I mean, physical distance, keep people six feet, feet away, wash your hands and, uh, and trace your contacts because that's how this thing is spreading. It's spreading from person to person. If you think about how the the various governments across the world changed their um their messaging on this remember at first it was no gatherings of more than 500 people right and we were all like oh 500 people and then it was 250 and then it was 200 and we're all going oh, 200 what's the number and then it's and then it's like 100 then it's 50 then it got down to 25 and we're all, so why is that? Why did they go 500? And now we're down to what, three, um, to something like that. The reason is, is that's how it's spreading, right? You spread it to these, you know, the groups of people, the sort of social interaction you're having. And so by cutting the size of those groups and by um, connecting with them so that you can warn them if it starts to spread out again, uh, which or it's tricky because different places are in a different time uh, on this. Some places are are sort of through it. It seems like at least through the first wave. Yeah, through the Other first places. wave, and, and don't forget to wear your mask too. You know, in this situation, yeah. Andrea, I want to get over to you because I know that you need to to jump off. Um, how are your clients reacting to all of this and, you know, not being able to be one-on-one -on -one with you, but, you know, adjusting to, to the virtual reality that we're living in these days? Well, I would say, luckily, um, anyone who has worked with me even one time 
the very first thing I do with clients is make sure that their mindset is right. And I just do a lot of encouragement. And so uh, I would say that my clients are actually doing great uh, in terms of where they're, they're really jumping in uh, and, and embracing this new reality the best that they can. And that's all we can ask of ourselves. So uh, what I've really been pivoting myself is, is looking towards teams. So in terms of the individual clients, you know, I haven't had a lot of calls and actually I would say that that's a, I, I sort of feel good about that. <laughs> that makes me feel positive that I must've been doing something right with a lot of my clients right now. I'm working on, because when we think about commerce and government and really every organization is now completely struggling with how to not only survive this moment, but to thrive in the future. And those leaders who are thinking ahead are the smart ones that are thinking, you know, this will end at some point and we will shift on to the next and where will we be and who will we be after this? And so I've really focused because I've really grown quite interested in, in a fourth industrial revolution world and how I can help people even understand what that means. The good news is a lot of the skills that are needed are not these hard technology skills. We don't all have to be coders. In fact, there's going to be AI that does a lot of that kind of really high tech work. Uh, what we need now are skills in intercommunications and in innovation and flexibility and the ability to be resilient. And these are things that lots of people can cultivate. So right now I'm bringing that message to a lot of organizations through consulting work more than just the one-on-one -on -one work that I had been doing with individuals. Well, and I love to see that shift because I think it's really needed. I mean, even with uh, a government as a whole, how do we communicate on a massive level? They have not done that well um, from, from speech to websites that are supposed to function for people that aren't. And, you know, we need to have some of this stuff set up and designed because, you know, they're saying this is going to be with us for life, probably this, this scenario. And we're going to have to adjust. And I, I was reading an, an article the other day, and it says we're probably not going to get back to even close to normal till 2022. And, and that might just be removing the mask by then, you know. <laughs> so, I mean, it's really, it's very, very interesting seeing all this. But the panic that is, is happening when people can't find you know, what they're told to look for. And then they're told, oh, look out, there's a lot of scams to boot. And so I know even for me, when I was looking for one of the websites, I checked like five different websites that I trusted, went to them all, made sure it was the same one, not that they just looked alike, you know, and stuff before I'm going to put my social security number <laughs> in these things. Really smart. Thinking, you know, that's the last thing I need. So um, yeah, I, I love your attitude. And I mean, you just kind of glow and <laughs> you have just you. a presence that, that um, really really brings people a peace just when you talk. And, you. and I think, I think all of you do, you know, you're knowledgeable, you're authentic, you really care about the big picture. And I, I so appreciate that. Cindy, what are your clients saying in terms of, you know, being able to connect virtually versus in person? You know, it has been really fun to work with them. And we make sure that before our group Zoom calls that we're on at least a half hour early, do kind of one-on-one -on -one coaching them through, and to just see the delight in some of their expressions and, and eyes, even when they just are like, oh, it worked, and I can see you. <laughs> they get so excited. So uh, I, it is really a mind shift 
um, that Andrea talks about that, you know, just helping them not be so afraid. And a lot of it is, because I am sure no tech guru, but a lot of them is ju just letting them know they can go through it with us. And, and really, I think that's the message of all of this is just how can we all be with one another in what we're going through, whether it's a little step of getting on to Zoom or whether it's a, you know, a, a step of just standing with you because I know this is hard not to be with your loved one right now or, you know, any little step to have somebody with you makes all the difference in the world. And that's really where I see the huge um shift coming in you know you, you mentioned it well you all probably mentioned it before about really transforming physical distancing to social connection and social compassion and that that is what i'm seeing happening in communities that's for sure what i'm just seeing happening individually and it does it is a one person at a time experience one moment at a time one you know interaction uh, so i think that's where we're going to see even though it such massive technology, I, it's still going to have to be that one-on-one -on -one, um, personal connection that lasts. And I think it will. I agree with you. And even when you use the word um, physical distancing versus social distancing, just the use of our words in terms mm -hmm. of uh, it, how lonely people feel. If they're socially isolating, you know, it's kind of like that word caregiver, you know, they're giving it all away. But social isolating means I'm I'm not in contact with anybody, but when you're social distancing, it opens up the door to all these other avenues in, in ways to connect. And I see, um, you know, I see the creativeness, I see the courage, and I see the gratefulness of, like you said, oh, this worked. This is so much fun. Yeah. It's so nice to see somebody's face, you know, other than who I live with right now, you know, and stuff. I mean, you're, you're getting that sense of humor, but just that, that raw, authentic connection that is so so important you just said one thing several weeks ago and my my friends have um, confirmed that in that they as people living with dementia or people who are care partners have felt social distancing already they knew what that was like and so for them they've said you know some of this physical distancing stuff isn't that different um, but that's why, you know, they'll talk to each other. That's why you're so important to me. That's why I want to stay connected because you get it. I don't have to explain myself. Other friends have backed away because they don't understand, but you guys are my people. And that's where I feel like we can all make such a difference by just kind of helping to bridge that gap. Yeah. I've had many, um, people with dementia too say, I think we have a lot we can teach people about this because yeah. we've, We've been through it. We know what works. We know what doesn't. Well, in wrapping up, I want to give you each an opportunity to um, just give out your contact information. And Andrea, if you don't mind telling people how they can connect with you. Great. Um, so Andrea Buzwan, the easiest way to find me is at www.everhuman.io. That's the easiest way to find me. Wonderful. Thank you. And George, how about you? Okay, so our, our website is www.covid-19contacts.com. And uh, just you go to the site, it's straightforward. My name again is George Graziani, which is very difficult to spell, so I'm not even going to try. I'd say go to the website, and, and on it you'll see my name, and, and you can send us an email through that, or um, uh, see us on Twitter. You know, we're doing all that as well. 
but it's COVID-19 contacts.com. Wonderful. Thank you, Thank you. And Cindy, the way to get a hold of me is Cindy, C-Y-N-D-Y at D-F-C-N-O-C-O. So Cindy at dfcnoco.org. And George and Andrea, I'm just humbled to be on the same broadcast with you guys. Thank you so much. Well, thank you all. This has been really interesting and you've brought great energy, great ideas and great services to us all. So keep up the good work. Thank you very much. Thanks, Lori. Thank Bye -bye. you so much to all. Thank Bye -bye. you. Bye now. So in wrapping up, I just want to, again, thank our guests. They were just absolutely terrific. Gave us some wonderful insights that I hope you find helpful for yourself and for others. So please share these. I think these are conversations that we need to have. I know I learned some great things today, and I hope you did too. You can always go to alzheimerspeaks.com and learn more about our projects and initiatives. Uh, one thing that is new that we started is uh, a sing-along. Um, there's been a need for that. So we did our first one on April 16th, and we're going to be doing another one on April 30th. And don't worry, it's not my voice because I'm not a singer. I'll just facilitate the conversation. So um, stay safe, stay healthy, wash your hands, wear your masks, and um, keep that physical distance going so that we can all be safe. Bye now. Hi, I'm Lori LeBay, and I wanted to tell you about Alzheimer's Speaks, which is another great podcast. You see, my own mother lived with dementia for 30 years, and I felt lost. Did you know every three seconds someone in the world is being diagnosed with dementia? Odds are it's going to hit your families too. We want to help you connect to services, products, tools, research, and stories so you can be prepared. Please subscribe to Alzheimer's Speaks on your favorite podcast platform.